You know, this is the first smartphone war. Everybody's got a smartphone over there in Ukraine, and we are seeing things that we've never seen before. We've all seen combat, snippets of it on the news, but not quite like this, not ever before. The ubiquity of these devices and the images at times are heartbreaking, but gosh, they're incredibly rare and fascinating. We're about to see two jets, one crash, the other gets shot down, Ukrainian jets. Take a look. And that's the pilot ejecting. The pilot ejects the second guy, the navigator in the back. We don't think he made it just before impact. Uh, Here's a tank getting lit up by what we believe are javelin missiles. It's not a cell phone camera. It's a drone overhead watching everything. This is the second hit. Now, you, if you look closely, you'll see the crew try to escape from the tank. You see the hatches open up, and they start to try to get out of the tank. But then they're hit again, and a guy who's on top of the tank seems to have been killed. Somebody else rolls out and then runs away, but there's another blast. And the guy who is running is now crawling You'll see that crawling on the side of the road. This is war, and they're right. It's hell. You see him at the bottom of the screen trying to get away. He's crawling. Next, uh, an armored vehicle. We believe this is a Russian vehicle being hit by all kinds of rocket-propelled grenades. And, and Russian helicopters in attack mode. I've never seen this before, but they, they both have a nose-up attitude when they fire their missiles. Take a look at this. This is incredible footage. By the way, we think one of the reasons why so many of these aircraft are flying so low, they don't have many smart bombs. Now, a smart bomb is a very interesting weapon. It can essentially fly to the target on its own. One pilot will send a laser beam essentially on the target, and the bomb will fly to that laser beam. It's very interesting. There are basically little wings on the bomb. That's why they call it a smart bomb, and it knows where it's going. Now, most of the bombs they have over there, we believe, are dumb bombs, uh, bombs that when they fall off the airplane, it's really up to gravity uh, to do the rest of the work. You need smart bombs in modern warfare that reduces uh, collateral damage, women and children. It's the smart way to go to war. And there are too few of them in the theater. Take a look. Uh, the UK, by the way, here's an example. They have nine smart bombs for every one dumb bomb. But for Russia, it's basically the opposite. One smart bomb for every nine dumb bombs. And you have to get much lower to the target. It's much more dangerous. And the chance for collateral damage is real. Just one fascinating component of what we're watching over there. Meanwhile, here 
It's clear that to me that Joe Biden is no leader, okay? Now, think about it. He has been behind on everything, and he's being basically pushed around by public opinion, Congress, and our allies. We are not leading. We are following, and he is taking his cues from all of these entities, if you will. Uh, so let's go through it. Before the invasion, what was Joe doing? He was threatening sanctions, but he did not impose them. Once the invasion started, what did he do? Well, he imposed sanctions, but he only did it gradually. And he was resisting things. He resisted the Russian oil ban, which to a lot of us is kind of totally common sense, but he didn't want to do it until he finally did it. Uh, he resisted imposing trade restrictions on Russia. And Basically, he's had to be prodded into supplying more weapons every step of the way. It's never his idea. It's somebody else's public pressure builds. And finally, he does it. He is not leading. And it seems like in any given moment, he really doesn't know what to say. Take a look. Not calling Putin a war criminal was probably the way to go. He shouldn't have said it like that. He could have said, we'll talk about that later. He's a lot of things. I'll talk about that soon. But saying it like that, he had to go back and correct it, and he might have made the matter worse. Oh, war criminal. All right. So now he's a war criminal. What does that mean? Is he going to be, is he going to face trial in the international court? So he'll fight to the death. Look, you ultimately want to make peace with this guy. Potentially, this was a, in my opinion, huge mistake. So he's weak. We all know that. Joe is very weak. And what he's doing is not very strong. We talked about it. I mean, there's, he's not allowing Poland even to give planes to this effort. So what does he do? He just kind of raises his voice and tries to talk tough while we're really, quite frankly, pussyfooting around, worried about what Vladimir Putin is going to think. Take a look. No matter what you all say, that's called World War III. Putin is an aggressor. He is the aggressor. And Putin must pay the price. It'll include 7,000 small arms, machine guns, shotguns, grenade launchers to equip the Ukrainians, including the brave women and men who are defending their cities. I'm sick of this stuff. We are not seeking direct confrontation with Russia. All right. So you see no planes, no, no fly zone um, late on the sanctions, but high on the volume. That's how he rolls. By the way, have you heard about this? What happened to that theater in Maripol? So this, we believe, is a uh, like a community theater. And in front and back, it says, and this is for the benefit of pilots. You see that word? It looks like A-E-T, backwards N, you know, Russian style. That means children in Cyrillic, children. It is a message to pilots, don't hit this place because it's a bomb shelter. And this video was taken just a few days ago. This is where... Uh, number of people, especially children, women, were uh, sheltering. Well, guess what? They hit it. Bad. It's unclear how many casualties, but, but here it is. And maybe this was a mistake. Could it have been deliberate? Well, maybe it could have been. And that would make Putin a war criminal. It's easier for me to say it, but 
let's look it up in the Geneva Convention, Article 3 prohibits violence to life in person, in particular murder of all kinds, when perpetrated against persons taking no active part in the hostilities. And yes, Russia is a signatory to this part of the agreement. All right. Back here in America, our leaders, not impressing anybody, Nancy Pelosi. Uh, is this normal behavior? I don't think so. A luncheon today, and she was excited that she got a letter from a celebrity. I got this message this morning from Bono. And, and most of us, we're always, whether we're in Ireland or here, whatever it is, Abano has been a very Irish part of our lives. And he said this. He said, oh, St. Patrick, he drove out the snakes with his prayers, but that's not all it, that's not all it takes. For the smoke symbolizes an evil that arises and hides in your heart as it breaks. And the evil from, risen from friends, from the darkness that lives in some men, but in sorrow and fear, that's when saints can appear to drive out those old snakes once again. And they struggle for us to be free from the psycho in this human family. Ireland's sorrow and pain is now the Ukraine, and St. Patrick's name is now Zelensky. <laughs> I want the Russians out of Ukraine, too. But when she said driving the old snakes out, Nancy, look in the mirror. And I think it's going to happen in November. We'll be right back. The fake news finally admitting that Hunter's laptop is the real deal. We'll be right back. is that the, the fake news just doesn't get it to <laughs> I mean, they're totally fine with war criminals. Vladimir Putin, Joe Biden himself said he's a war criminal, but he still has a Twitter account. How about that? Yes, uh, the president of Russia, his Twitter account is still active with 1.7 million followers. This guy is calling for uh, civilian uh, targets. He wants to take down civilian airplanes, all kinds of creepy warnings coming from this account. Yet it's still active. Yet Donald Trump suspended, banned for life from Twitter. How about that? And nobody, everybody seems fine with that. Also this. So, you know, the mainstream media, the fake news, they have finally acknowledged that the Hunter Biden laptop, the one with all the weird pictures and all the incriminating emails. Yeah, it's his. It's real. It's legitimate. <laughs> we were right all along. The New York Post, Miranda Devine, Newsmax, Rudy Giuliani. We were right. Now, we knew it, but it's funny. Now, liberals will have to acknowledge it. I wonder how they're going to ignore it this time. The laptop that was dropped off at that little shop in Wilmington, Delaware, by a drunk hunter one night several years ago that details all of his comings and goings in China, in Ukraine, in Russia. It's all there. It's all legitimate. And it's all very, very damning. So let's go to these now, mainstream media authenticated emails. Email number one. The announcement of my guy's upcoming travels should be characterized as part of our advice and thinking. But we will, what he will say and do is out of our hands. Now, my guy is 
his dad, the vice president of the United States. And he's talking about an upcoming trip to Ukraine, where he will be taking that job with Burisma before the trip. Next, please. The contract should begin now, not after the upcoming visit of my guy. And then he talks about all the money he wants. Now, the upcoming visit by his guy was, yes, the vice president of the United States, my guy, visiting with the president of Ukraine at the time in 2014, Mr. Poroshenko. Now, it has been verified. I'll get to the specific newest verification. But first, when I talked about it, when we talked about it, when the New York Post talked about it, Look at what they said about us. The right wing is going crazy with uh, all sorts of allegations uh, about Biden and his family. Too disgusting to even repeat here. Hunter Biden's laptop, that whole thing is mm-hmm. has been fizzling. It looks like it's tied to Vladimir Putin in Moscow. When you look at this uh, computer uh, store owner in Delaware who allegedly received Hunter Biden's laptop, that is more in line with the, when you think about somebody who's a useful idiot. That's kind of the entry point that is kind of, a, again, a classic indicator of the potential uh, presence of disinformation. Hey, by the way, is that Peter Strzok? I think it is. Talk about idiots, huh? Well, the New York Post had this story in the fall of 2020, and it was huge. And it really made the Democrats and big tech nervous. So what did they do? They pulled some strings and they got the oldest newspaper in America kicked off the Internet for three critical weeks before the election. And the swamp, boy, did they kick in big time. Uh, all kinds of former intelligence officials from Democrats, uh, Republicans, they came together and wrote a phony letter trying to say that this was all disinformation. We write to say that the arrival on the U.S. political scene of emails purportedly belonging to Vice President Biden's son, Hunter, much of it related to his serving on the board of Ukrainian gas company Burisma, has all the classic earmarks of a Russia disinformation campaign. And these guys who wrote it, heavyweights, Jim Clapper, Mike Hayden, he was CIA under Bush, Leon Panetta, John Brennan, of course. Now, these guys being the swamp characters that they are, they knew that this thing was legitimate. So they provided themselves an out in that letter, little uh, postscript. We want to emphasize that we do not know if the emails are genuine or not, and that we do not have evidence of Russian involvement. Well, then don't sign the letter. But they did, and it was very, very useful um, in the debate, okay? Because that letter existed, and when the issue came up, when Donald Trump brought it up, well, watch Joe Biden lie. Well, I tell you what, I, uh, I hope he does look at me, because what's happening here is, you know who I am, you know who he is, you know his character, you know my character, you know our reputations for honor and telling the truth. I am anxious to have this race. I am anxious to see this take place. I am, the character of the country is on the ballot. Our character is on the ballot. Look at us closely. Let me ask some follow-up, please respond, and then we're gonna have follow-up questions. If this is true about Russia, Ukraine, China, other countries, Iraq, if this is true, then he's a corrupt politician. Right. So don't give me the stuff about how you're this innocent baby. Joe, they're calling you a corrupt politician. Nobody. Hey, President Trump, I want to stay hell. on the issue Excuse of race. Me. We're Take talking about the, the issue. from hell. President Trump, Nobody. we're talking about race right now, and I do want to stay on the issue of race. President Trump, you I have dis- to respond to that. Please. Because, look, Very there are 50 former national intelligence folks who said that what this he's accusing me of is a Russian plant. 
They have said that this is, has all the four, five former heads of the CIA, both parties, say what he's saying is a bunch of garbage. Nobody believes it except the, his and his good friend, Rudy Gianni. You mean the laptop is now another Russia, Russia, Russia hoax? And you that's exactly be. what is this that's where exactly you're what This is told. where he's going. The laptop that, right. is Russia, yes. Russia, Gentlemen, Russia? I want to stay on the issue of race. You okay? have to be kidding. Here Mr. we go President, again with Russia. We're going to continue boy, on the boy. issue of race. Mr. President, you've described. Back to the issue of race. Some fascinating things happened in there. Again, he used that phony letter to his advantage. Did you see Joe Biden for a moment when Donald Trump brought up the laptop? Joe was scared, alone and vulnerable and scared. He had that letter to go to. We now know it's phony. I'll show you how the fake news verified it in a moment. But first, remember, the guy has always been a liar. It comes so easy to him. Take a look. Mr. Vice President, how many times have you ever spoken to your son about his overseas business dealings? I've never spoken to my son about his overseas business And so how do you know? How do you know? Here's what I know. I know Trump deserves to be investigated. He is violating every basic norm of a president. You should be asking him the question, why is he on the phone with a foreign leader trying to intimidate a foreign leader? If that's what happened, that appears what happened. You should be looking at Trump. Trump's doing this because he knows I'll beat him like a drum. And he's using the abuse of power and every element of the, the presidency to try to do something to smear me. Here's what I know. When you catch a liar, they often do what Joe just did. Deny everything, admit nothing, and make counter accusations. That's what he did. And quite frankly, here's some proof. In that laptop is an email uh, from Vadim Parzarsky, a Burisma senior employee to Hunter, thanking him for the opportunity to have met his father at a dinner that Hunter set up in Washington, D.C. There are a million emails about setting up the dinner and they have a cover story for the dinner. It's um, it's dirty stuff. It really is. And now for the mainstream media's final embrace of the laptop, because now that Joe Biden is safely in the White House, now they can look at Hunter because he is under federal investigation. A grand jury is hearing evidence. The New York Times writes today, uh, I'm sorry, this came out uh, late last night. And let's bring it up on the screen, please. Uh, they cite emails and those emails were obtained by the New York Times from a cache of files that appears to have come from a laptop abandoned by Mr. Biden in a Delaware repair shop. All right. There you go. That's pretty significant. I mean, in a way, because now liberals, the latte liberals, that whole scene, they'll have to admit it. I guess they'll just ignore it. They'll pretend none of this happened. Jen Psaki kind of did that. Now, during the campaign, this notorious liar, uh, Psaki, Hunter Biden's story is Russia disinformation. Dozens of former intel officials say each of those uh, intel officials should be challenged on this. They should have been then. They should be now. So what does she say now that the New York Times is saying this is the real deal? Go ask somebody else. The New York Times has authenticated emails that appear to have come from a laptop abandoned by Hunter Biden in Delaware. Um, the president previously said that the New York Post story about this was a bunch of garbage and that it was a Russian plant. Does he stand by that assessment? I appointed the Department of Justice and also to Hunter Biden's representatives. He doesn't work in the government. Well, just that's it. And they're probably they're probably going to get away with it. 
again, they're safely in the White House. Here's the thing, though. A lot of folks did not know about this when they needed to know about it back in the fall of 2020. And polls indicate that at least 17% of Biden voters would have changed their vote if they knew about this stuff. And guess what? If they did know about it and they changed their vote and Biden wasn't president, but Trump was, Ukraine wouldn't be happening. Because can you imagine Donald Trump saying something like this if Putin were on the verge of invading Ukraine? Russia will be held accountable if it invades. And it depends on what it does. It's one thing if it's a minor incursion and then we end up having a fight about what to do and not do, etc. What if he invades just a little bit? Joe Biden gave a green light to Putin. Why would he do that? Why? You know, sometimes war, it helps a president, helps them with their poll numbers. Could that have been on his mind? I wonder, I wonder. 62% of Americans know that this would not be happening under Donald Trump. We'll be right back because we are going to go to Ukraine because it is happening. And we'll meet a young man, an American, who went over there to help. Uh, you've heard about that, but I'm, I'm anxious to actually meet him in person or meet him over the Zoom. Seems like a great guy doing amazing stuff. We'll be right back. I brought some first aid supplies, and so if there's triage needed or evacuation efforts I can help out with, that's what I'm going to do. And uh, essentially right next to the train station is a Red Cross Center, so that's where I'm going to put my efforts. And as far as how I feel, I'm a little nervous, to be honest, but at the same time, like it's not about me, it's about the people that are suffering there. So coming out, when you see the images, you see the people that are here right now, you understand that it's, you're not suffering this more about them. That's Michael Ferkel. He is volunteering in Ukraine right now, a former U.S. Army medic. He's 29 years old. He was in Rome studying archaeology when this all happened. And, uh, well, he got himself to Ukraine, and he joins us live right now. Michael Ferkel, welcome to Newsmax. How you doing, man? Good, sir. How are you? Terrific. Uh, look, how, how's it been so far? Well, first off, let me ask you this. I mean, I heard a little bit there, but you don't have to do this, but you're doing it. Why? That's correct, sir. Uh, I just feel like there's a natural impetus for helping out people here. So, as you know, since you, I'm aware that you served in the military as well, that you get a natural impulse to help people that are in need and people that can't protect themselves. And so that's why the next day after the invasion, I bought a ticket to Bucharest in Romania, made my way up to the border, and then helped out with refugees there. And the first day, maybe you want to cry, actually, seeing the status of it, but you can't really cry in front of people that have just gone through what they've gone through. And so from there, I decided to actually be... Uh, in person to where I was needed most, and I felt I was needed, needed most here in Kiev. So that's why I'm here. And you have this skill as a uh, former Army medic. Are they employing you? Are they using you? Have you been able to put your skills to use? Yeah, there's uh, there's a variety of different apparatuses that are in place in order to associate people that have skill sets that are valid here. So uh, I signed up essentially when I was in Lviv in the West, and they put me into their system. So I've been transporting goods, medical supplies, and things of that nature, food distribution, doing pretty much everything that I can, uh, getting personally involved with uh, TCCC, which is Tactical Combat Casualty Care, and also uh, volunteering with uh, chronic illnesses and helping out people that need it the most. Um, your family okay with this? Uh, I mean, we've, we've My seen... My mom's not. Sorry? Your mom's not? 
so I did, did you, you say know. your uh, what did your family saying about you? They got to be worried. And do they want you to come home? Uh, my mom is a little bit worried, but my dad realized that if this is what my calling is and what I felt was within my right to do so or my character, then he's OK with it. So uh, right now I'm just trying to keep a level head and I'm here by myself. I'm not necessarily associated with an organization, but I've been doing different things as far as, you know, personal outreach and also associating with doctors that are here. OK, now you have the military experience and I know they got the, uh, the Georgia Foreign Legion. Um, have you thought about reaching out to them? And what about carrying a weapon? Um, you certainly know how to use one, and it's a dangerous place. Are you doing that? Uh, as far as the Georgia Foreign Legion, that is one option. Uh, I looked into it myself, but it's essentially a different commitment. So if you want to join the Ukrainian military, be associated with them, you have to sign a contract. It's a three-year commitment. So like the American Army, is if you want to leave or something like that, that's not essentially uh, possible. But as far as the weapon is concerned, I've thought about it, but uh, I'm here primarily for a humanitarian mission. And so I felt like that would contradict why I'm here in the first place. Understood. Understood. So can you tell me, without giving too much away, what kind of facility are you in right now? What, what, what is that? A barracks? It looks like you got a bunk bed next to you. Where are you right now? Uh, right now, I'm city center, so I'm actually staying at a hostel. Uh, it's not too far away from the government district of the city itself. So there's a couple of hospitals that I can actually coordinate with and I have been coordinating with. So I brought a bunch of medical supplies with me and I've been dropping it off as needed. All right. Now, we've seen the videos, a lot of them from social media. Uh, and I think we have plenty, but it looks horrible over there. It sounds quiet where you are right now. Um, you know, how would you gauge the tempo? Major combat operations, you know, sometimes people dispute the veracity of these, uh, of these videos. I don't. But just give us your... Your explanation, not your explanation, your description. Like, how bad is it right now? Uh, that's a very good question, actually, sir. Um, so today is actually a low in the fighting, from my understanding of it, and also my personal experience. Yesterday, right down the street, actually, uh, there was sniper fire and also BMP fire. So generally speaking, you have alarms that will go off every hour. It could range from every hour for uh, air raid sirens to, uh, you know, every other hour or sparsely uh, intermixed like that. Um, as far as situation, you have people drinking groundwater. So if that gives any indication about the seriousness of the situation, uh, it's, it's really serious. In the, in the east, the drone striking ambulances, civilian vehicles are shooting up vehicles with grandparents is driving. So it's, it's, uh, it's exactly what you think it is, uh, if not worse. But here right now in Kiev, then you have most of the fighting that's in the outskirts. Meanwhile, you have certain sectors like apartment buildings, a picture that I took uh, of the heart uh, on top of the rubble that's actually in, on my way back from one of the hospitals. And so, yeah, it's, 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 pretty, it's pretty bad. Wow. And I don't want to get too graphic, but essentially it's, it's bad. When people find out you're an American, uh, what do they say to you? It's a lot of gratitude, actually. Uh, Ukrainian people are very self-proficient um, as far as taking care of themselves. But whenever they see that there's uh, a hand extended to them, then they're the first to greet you and, and thank you. And there's a lot of hospitality here. And they understand why you're here. And there's common cause in order to actually make the situation better. And um, do they speak English? Do you speak Ukrainian? Uh, how, how does the communication go? Uh, most of the time, it's through sign language or through pantomiming, but then there are people that have uh, English capabilities. So it's intermixed, but you, generally speaking, you have good people here that do have a certain degree or grasp of English, and they'll help you out as far as where you need to go. All right. So look, this thing has been going on. You've been there for most of it. 
when will you come home? Uh, no telling how long this thing is going to go. Do you have a date in mind? Uh, are you going to see it through to the end? Right now, I'm, I'm here uh, to create the maximum impact, impact that I can. So I'm doing that through fundraising and through the distribution, food distribution, that, that kind of thing, relocating and helping out with evacuation missions. So uh, when I'm not needed here any longer or, as, or if I feel like my impact is detrimental or not effective, then that's when I'll, I'll leave and finish my studies. Okay. Well, as, I don't have to tell you how dangerous it is over there. And they just, you know, a couple of journalists, Americans uh, were killed and, you know, and Look, I'm a little bit with your mom on this one, okay? I would, I, we want you to be safe and, and um, you know, it, I, I do admire, though, what you're doing. You're, you're, quite, you're quite an adventurer and uh, have a big heart. So Michael Ferkel, and you can check him out on Instagram, I believe. Let's go ahead and put that up one more time. It's um, Michael underscore Ferkel underscore, right? No, no, I'm sorry. Michael underscore Paul underscore Ferkel. That's your Instagram, right? That's correct, sir. And what is, hey, by the way, what is this palace I'm looking at right now at the chandeliers? What is that? That's actually um, a 15th century church that is heavily frequented for military funerals and military purposes. It's where people go to generate uh, goods and money for people that are in need. Wow. Although we see that facilities like that are uh, not necessarily safe. We saw that theater that was taken out in Maripol. All right, Michael Ferkel, thank you very much. Please be safe and... Uh, to be continued, okay? I hope. Thank you, sir. It's a pleasure. You bet. You bet. We'll be right back. It was meant to be a peaceful protest, but then thousands stormed the Capitol. Soon it became a day of shocking events and even tragedy. Find out what really happened in Washington on January 6th. Watch Day of Outrage exclusively on Newsmax. Some believe that this is perhaps the iconic image from the war in Ukraine. Look at that woman. Uh, look at her eyes. And gosh, I, I saw this a few weeks ago. It really captivated me. And we met the photographer shortly thereafter. His name is Alex Lori. He's still in Ukraine. He's still taking pictures. He joins us once again. Alex, so good to see you. We're glad that you're uh, safe and sound. Uh, we hope you stay that way. We know it's a very dangerous place. How's it going for you? Um, I guess as, as well as can be expected under the circumstances, you know. Well, you're still out there taking pictures, and they are incredible and very compelling. The first one we like to show everybody, and it kind of speaks for itself. I think we can all figure it out. Take a look, please. It's, uh, it's something else. These are, I take it, bullet holes in the side of a car. Uh, can you tell us anything more? Um, shrapnel, actually. Uh, ah. So that is uh, that was taken um, in a town uh, close to Kiev called Erpin, which um, there's been a lot of uh, images coming out of uh, the past week or so, um, where a large number of civilians are fleeing, um, have been fleeing. It's probably pretty much over at this point. But thousands of people have came across this bombed out bridge um, because the town itself is embattled. And the Russians have attacked this civilian evacuation corridor a couple times, and this is uh, shrapnel resulting from uh, some sort of munitions um, being deployed against that vehicle convoy. 
Something else. Um, next, please. We have this. Oh, gosh. An older woman. Man, and, and, and it looks like she's in agony. Can you tell us what's happening here, please? Yeah. So that woman's uh, name is Alexandra. She's 83. She was uh, three years old when her home was struck by German bombs in uh, World War II. Um, she lost two fingers on uh, her right hand during that incident. And uh, fast forward to two days ago um, when her current home was sadly once again destroyed by bombing, this time by the Russians. Incredible. Did she remember that when she was three? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's what she's recalling in that photo. Um, next, please. It looks, uh, okay, the aftermath of something significant. I can't tell if that firefighter is in distress or if he's just in uh, I I I fighting the, uh, the fire, dealing with the situation. What's happening? Uh, they're bringing him up out of this pit. So uh, the Russian military had struck this one building in downtown Kharkiv. Uh, I want to say that was three or four days ago, um, which left this huge crater. And uh, there was a, a gas main, uh, so, uh, something like that, in the bottom of the crater. And um, he's kind of getting pulled out there by his comrades. Hey, can I ask you... Um... <laughs> It's very dangerous. And as you know, uh, a cameraman was killed. A, a journalist was seriously wounded. Uh, in addition, of course, to the civilians and the military. Are you thinking of coming back anytime soon? Oh, well, of course, you have to think about that every day. You have to do sort of a risk calculation multiple times throughout the day. Uh, so far, you know, you don't you don't want to be skittish. You don't want to be Superman. Um, but right now, I think it's still an environment that's possible to work in. Uh, this is, uh, I think that scene from the, the pit, the fire still on. Can we go advance, please? I think there's, uh, yeah, this is something else. Uh, these icicles, what's, what's this all about? Are they icicles? Uh, yeah. So, um, that's actually probably not too far from where the, uh, where the giant pit was it's separate bombings. Um, but yeah, I, I believe that some sort of water main uh, was was ruptured uh, when that building was destroyed and has resulted in kind of this surreal ice sculpture in, in the middle of downtown Kharkiv where uh, that road, everything is just completely destroyed. I saw a picture of a fire from 100 years ago and the hoses actually put the water that froze similar to what I'm seeing right there. Just uh, amazing. And advance, please, to the next and this is more devastation. Uh, well, tell us a little bit about this little scene. I mean, these people seem to be kind of blasé in a weird way, like going about their normal lives. That's just a snapshot impression. Am I onto something? Um, I don't recall what those those two people were just walking down the street. I mean, every now and then you'll see people getting possessions out of a out of a building, um, but usually. Uh, when you see scenes like this here, I mean, there's they're, they're pretty quiet. They're pretty, pretty abandoned. I think these people are probably just crossing point A to point B uh, through this one street that was heavily damaged. But uh, I couldn't give you any solid information on on their specific case. So you're documenting these these pictures are incredible. Do you have a mission? Is there a message behind these pictures um, that you hope people take away with? It's fine if there isn't in and of themselves. They're valuable. But is there a takeaway that you want people to have or not? 
Um, well, uh, you know, I think photographers, we, we prefer to communicate visually rather than through words. Uh, that's the medium we chose. Um, I just hope that uh, anyone who sees these could, could see themselves and their loved ones in, in similar positions. It's, it's all just a couple horrible decisions by politicians away. You know, none of us are uh, invulnerable from finding ourselves in situations like this. It could happen to anybody. Um, and I just hope people remember that. Two more quick things. You're a native New Yorker. Where did you learn how to take uh, pictures? There's, it, it truly is an art form. We all have uh, phones, but we can't do it like this. How did you learn how to do all this? Um, well, I started going to Iraq and Syria for uh, video um, and uh, met some really great mentors, uh, a woman named Carol Guzzi, uh, who um, I think she's won four Pulitzers now. She's a very close friend, and she kind of took me her under her, took me under her wing. And uh, yeah, mentorship, I would say the answer to that question is. Wow. Finally, do you have a sense on the ground there uh, that this just that it could possibly end soon? Is there any scuttlebutt about that? Uh, Wishful thinking on my part, perhaps. But you you take the temperature there every day. What do you think? You know, I'm not in the room when, you know, the, the big wigs are discussing that. But I would say that my gut feeling is sadly, no, I think that this is going to be a longer haul. Yeah. Alex Lurie, we are hoping and yes, praying for your safety and everyone else's and for peace. Alex Lurie, independent photojournalist. We, we thank you again. Thank you. All the best. And we'll be right back. Our Sarah Williamson is on the ground in Ukraine. We'll talk to her in a moment. Sarah Williamson is our Newsmax correspondent on the ground in Kiev, Ukraine. Right now, she joins us once again. Sarah, great to see you. How are you and how is it going over there? What's the latest? The curfew here in uh, Kyiv has lifted after 35 hours of us being locked indoors uh, due to the heavy bombardment that this town here has been suffering from this city. But... Unfortunately, the main news suffer. The main news is really focused around what is happening happening down in Mariupol. Last night, we had that horrific news of that Russian airstrike on the theatre that was housing up to 1,000 refugees that were reportedly inside uh, inside that theatre at the time. But after hearing that horrifying news, uh, we woke up this morning with something that doesn't necessarily happen too often. In a war zone, and that was some good news that the bomb shelter inside had actually withstood the. the impact of the bomb that was dropped on it and the emergency services had been moving through the rubble uh, at a rapid pace and so far 130 people have emerged and they are still alive. So we don't actually have any uh, number of casualties that have been confirmed at this hour, uh, but we do know since this afternoon that 130 people have been confirmed to still be alive and we, there are still some people who are still still trapped inside, but hopefully uh, the emergency workers can get to them safely and we can get them out in time. You know, we have an aerial picture, uh, Sarah, of the theater before it was destroyed. And if you can make it out in the front and the back, there's lettering what looks to be in the parking lot. Now, we have that translated. That's Russian for 
children. Uh, it's actually in Russian, I guess, for the Russian pilots. Children, don't shoot. This is a, there are children inside. Is there any speculation about, you know, was this accidental? Was this deliberate? I mean, I, I, I don't see how you can hit a, a target like that by accident. Anyone talking about that? Well, everyone is talking about that. That has actually been one of the main focuses here and one of the main things that everyone on the streets here in Ukraine has been talking about because we can see from the satellite images how clear those uh, those words are. So if we can see them from those images, the pilots can see, that, see those words as well. Now, uh, the Kremlin has actually denied that they actually did this strike at all and are blaming the Ukrainians for hitting their own target. Targets. But uh, let's put that aside for a second, because uh, in Mariupol alone, 80 percent of the build, 80 percent of the infrastructure there, including, including civilian houses and stuff, 80 to 90 percent has been confirmed to have been absolutely destroyed now. And across the country, two thirds of the missiles that have been fired have hit civilian targets. So when the Kremlin says that they this is only a military uh, operation and they're only hitting military targets and are not aiming for civilians at all. That's obviously not true. So those words that they have, that they saw there, even if it did say the word children, the way that they have been operating so far uh, over the past 22 days goes to show that they don't necessarily uh, have too much... <laughs> don't really care that much for mm. human life, uh, considering the uh, reputation that they have so far and the amount of civilians that have been lost. How are you holding up? Uh, there's a lot of pressure and that's a lot of a lot of things to be worried about. Yeah, it is. Look, it honestly, it, it is a lot to worry about. And I feel like it doesn't make us as journalists feel any less concerned to what the civilians would feel like here and even the military service people, because we're all in this together here. This is a war zone and everyone has to look out for each other on the street. But the difference here with us is that we have got, uh, we've had special training in the past and people like myself who have been in war zones in the past understand that there are certain limitations to the things that you can do. So uh, I do know when to be, where, what is safe, what is not safe, and uh, how, to, how to handle these sort of situations. Of course, of course, yes. Very experienced you are. Uh, still, we're, we're worried about everybody and everything. So, Sarah Williamson, we thank you so much, and uh, to be continued, thank you. Thank you. All right. We'll be right back. Happy St. Patrick's Day, and stand by for Stanchfield. Thank you. We'll be back tomorrow.